Hello and welcome to Soundtrack Showdown, our monthly podcast where we pick two film soundtracks, pit them against each other to get an overall winner. sets of contenders we have this month i know like we picked them because they were topical already and then they just became that little bit more yes (laughs) considering the current state of the world hashtag social distancing hashtag self-isolation yes this is the self-isolation or social isolation special episode yes I mean, you really couldn't write this. I mean, we are literally in the middle of a global pandemic yep. where a coronavirus called COVID-19 is, has shut down the whole world and has forced people to distance themselves. And we have two films about the danger of what happens when people are socially isolated. Exactly. So without further ado, we are going to be talking and discussing Taxi Driver, music by Bernard Herrmann versus Joker, and please bear with me, Hilda Gwynedotto. Spoiler warning. Spoiler warning. And obviously, here's your spoiler alert. We are going to be talking about the ins and outs of this film, how they end. So if you haven't seen them, which I'll be very surprised if you haven't, but, you know, if there are a small percentage of you who haven't, to be fair, I hadn't seen Taxi Driver until a few weeks ago. Why? I don't know. I just never gotten around to it. I'd... Okay, fine. Well, then Tristan is <laughs> is um <laughs> is one of it's obviously one of the small minority of people who hasn't seen it, which I hope those feel a little bit more um, supported. Yes, um, we love you all. <laughs> yes, we do, and. Obviously, the Joe Coach is last year's film, complete like big phenomenal sort of mm. box office hit. Um, for I think for very good reasons, and I think a very well deserved film uh, to win all the awards that it has. Mm-hmm. I mean, both films are actually kind of character studies of men in solitude, and you know, as we mentioned before, how loneliness can lead to insanity and. In some ways, they both become accidental heroes in their minds or in a reality, but that is left for debate because kind of both of those films kind of have similar, well, very similar endings whereby you kind of question, is it real? Yeah, is it real or is it not? Yes. And one thing I I just want to throw in here while we're sort of just beginning to, to delve into these films is just to point out that that neither you or I are mental health experts. We are composers, mm-hmm. not mental health experts, and that we're going to be discussing themes that have a definite and obvious mental health angle. And I certainly, I think we both, we apologise for any inaccuracies, both in how maybe the films portray these things and indeed in how we might describe them. We're likely to use the wrong words, 
those sorts of things. We're doing our best in the spirit of criticism and discussing the the themes and everything. But we don't in any way mean to minimise or upset anybody. Exactly. So you know, take it in the spirit that's intended. If you feel that you need to let us know where we've we've done the wrong thing, we're very happy to to hear that and and deal with that and and learn and grow out of that process. But just understand that you know these films in their own way are. potentially flawed in how they deal with some of that stuff and by extension we will be too in talking about it so just want to get that just out there before we get going a little disclaimer i think as much as and as you said tristan as much as like in some ways we're going to be discussing it you know maybe might throw in the odd joke i guess Mm -hmm. about it you know Particularly, I, I do find it hilarious about the state of our world now how with the, this whole self-isolation, social distancing practices. And in some ways, we may all laugh about it all in three months' time once, once everything has settled down. Um, but obviously, we do want to flag up that for some people, some may be listening to this now, it may be a very difficult time mentally. Um, due to the fact that if they're not able to see and spend time with their friends and loved ones and or whereby if they find it really difficult to occupy themselves with projects or things to do to, you know, if you're in a, a four-sided space, you know. Mm-hmm. I obviously just wanna let you know that you are not alone and you are not forgotten and you are loved and to please to, to reach out to each other um, be honest with yourself if you do feel that you need company and you need somebody to talk to, whether it's a friend or a family member or even some like a helpline. You know, there are plenty of like mental health helplines out there that, you know, if you do the research and contact them and don't feel ashamed or frightened or to do so. Or, or yeah, yeah, don't. You like, you know, it's this is you need to really take this is the moment where you need to take care of yourself and obviously in terms of seeing people, there's loads of, there's plenty of video call apps that are available now to make um, this happen. So if you need to be able to f- see people, friends or family or, you know, some people, um, again, don't feel, don't sit back, do it. You know, take the, take, find the strength within yourself to do it. Yeah, it's just looking after yourself and it's, it's what we all have to do. Exactly. I mean, what is clearly a very abnormal and difficult time for literally the whole world. So you're, you're definitely not alone. Yeah. There's billions of us dealing with this one right now. We are all in this together. Yes. <laughs> but Good old high school musical <laughs> reference. We need to do that movie one day. <laughs> all right. But back to our episode uh, to actually discuss the films. I'm just going to yes. quickly just talk about our initial reactions to the film. So Tristan... When you first watched Taxi Driver and Joker, what did you think? My first reaction to Taxi Driver was how modern it felt. I've said this so many times on 1970s movies, even in this podcast and, and around the podcast, but this film is like the, the absolute best example of it. Of, while some aspects of it are clearly of the 1970s. It's a film set in the 1970s, shot in the 1970s, and so the fashion and everything is obviously perfectly of the 1970s. But so much about the attitudes and the storytelling style and even some of the ways that people interact with each other, it just feels so much like it could have been shot yesterday. It's very timeless. It is. It's Well, no, because I wouldn't say timeless. 
Because what I would say is that, like, if I'd watched this in the 90s, I would have probably been like, that's so 70s. That's so different from how a film in the 90s is made. But now it feels like it could be made now because we make films like that now. And yeah. it just feels so unique to now. And I feel like in 10 years' time, it would probably feel old again, if that makes sense. Which I think is why Joker, which clearly borrows a hell of a lot from... Uh, Taxi Driver and also King of Comedy, which is around about the same time, it works so closely as an homage because you don't really have to change terribly much about it. Mm. So, yeah, I found it very, very interesting. Okay. And then The Joker? The Joker, it's one of those films that really gets to you, isn't it? Like it's a film that really... It's wrong to say that it's a film that everyone feels the same way because clearly it's an incredibly polarising film that um, people have seen at least two very different ways. But I think it represents a side to us that everybody has. Yes, I think it... In some... Well, what, what I mean is in, like, everybody battles with different sides of ourselves that, you know, when we want to be a certain or behave a certain way in order to fit in society and there is always going to be a small percentage of it that actually wants to just break free and go feral and go mental but the society the laws and maybe understanding or wanting to appreciate and respect and love other people kind of stops us you know it's all about people's different mindsets and how they kind of process things to live yeah. life yeah as in like because i know what you mean because when i saw the joker i that film really stayed with me after i left the cinema and i, mm. and I saw it twice as well yep. in the cinema and both times i really felt a sense of connect connection i know it's it's a very weird word because as mm. you say you know how can you feel connected to a villain how can you become connected to a murderer but I was just like yeah but I have those frustrations sometimes myself like I've felt some elements of his you know being isolated or being bullied or being made to feel like you're trying to fit in into this world and no matter how hard you try you kind of being deemed as like a freak mm. you know mm -hmm. and I've, I've had those moments in my life me too yeah you know, absolutely so that's where I felt that connection and I felt it's also it was at a time of everything that was going on in the UK was just very like dis <laughs> despairing and the, yeah um hope there was an element of hopelessness that I felt the the film channeled for me yeah. and kind of uh, externalized for me what did you think of Taxi Driver by comparison I mean, I appreciated the film. I thought it was a very good film, but for some reason, I didn't feel as much connection as I did to Joker. All right, so shall we talk about our rounds? Yeah, so the rounds that we got is round one, The City. Round two, Relationship with Women. Round three, Gun slash Violence. Round four, Transformation, and then round five, Legacy. Before we get into it, just we really hope that you're liking what we're doing here, trying to break down these films for you, let you know what's going on. If you, if you like what we do, please subscribe, tell your friends, get more on board. We've all got a hell of a lot more time 
to, to listen to podcasts at the moment, even though maybe your normal commuter routine has been broken down, as we say. But I think I think we could all use a little bit of of of, of stuff to occupy our ears in this in this difficult time. So get the word out, have some conversations with friends, and let's get on with the show. Alrighty, so without further ado, round one, the city. So this round, we're going to be focusing focusing on the way the music kind of highlights and illustrates the city that these characters are uh, living in. So for Taxi Driver, we're going to go for Thank God for the Rain. And here it is. So for me, it's like it's quite obvious that the smooth jazz is meant to kind of depict the sort of sleaziness sort of Mm -hmm. element of the city's nightlife. And it's quite tense. Um, And then when the brass comes in, which I guess is representing Travis's observations and disgust, like for me, it feels like that each build is like a ticking bomb ready to explode. Okay. For me. And also I find that the way the brass is played, it's like, it's it's almost like a breath, you know? It's so breathy. Yeah, there's a big inhale, yeah. exhale. And I feel like for me, it's almost like, you know, when you're tense or you know when somebody irritates you and you kind of have to count yourself in your head, like one, two, three, to kind of calm yourself down before you kind of explode. It has that sort of like, you know, countdown to like, to get yourself balanced, I guess. Yep, yep. You? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, it's, yeah, it's that that breathiness from the, like, it sort of alternates between being like a really harsh grating sound and a sort of really compressed breathy sound. So, yeah, you're right. It really has that strong inhale, exhale quality. It's like a really slow accordion or something. To me, what... The, the two things I really like about it. One is that, like, it sounds like car horns. It's almost atonal kind of horn chords. They have that real, like... Jarringness. Yeah, the jarringness and the sound of the city. And um, I swear a few times through the film, they actually blur the line between whether it's the brass playing or actual car horns. Like, there's a couple of scenes where he's in a car and he's in, like, a bit of a traffic jam scenario where you just sort of hear a burst of this and you're not quite sure if that is soundtrack that's been spliced in mm. or it's actually just this, like sound effects of horns, it's of car horns. And there is something really about that because there's also like an anger thing of like you know, the sound of 
people honking their horns makes you really tense and uncomfortable anyway. Well, it's New York. So I York. think it plays on that. And it's New York. It's a really sleazy 70s New York, exactly. It was very congested with people. And yeah. it, you can definitely get a sense of like this negative energy. There's an anger to it. Yeah, exactly. It's also that sort of slow jazz, cool jazz, whatever you want to call it, sound is very, it's very noir and it's very... Uh, indicative in particular of 70s, what they call neo-noir. Um, in particular, if, you, if anyone wants to listen to Jerry Goldsmith's score for Chinatown, which is from 1974, I think so Jack Nicholson film noir, it's very similar style, basically. So it ties it into this genre that it belongs in, which I guess is what I was saying earlier about how it, it kind of indicates its relationship to the whole traumatised war veteran thing because it's part of this general pattern. Mm-hmm. Sorry, one more thing I'll very quickly say, because it, it's not so much relevant for this track, but it will become relevant later on, is that one thing I just want to note about Thank God for the Rain is that there's a constant rising feel in the music. Like the arpeggios go up, the chords, while they kind of sound like they don't go in any particular direction, they are slowly going up. So there's an ascending quality to it, which is kind of funny when you think of the concept of rain to start with, a bit of a juxtaposition, but also it's pretty much the only time that this soundtrack does go up. So that's just something to note as we go on. So yes, let's move on to The Joker. And the track that we're listening to is Defeated Clown. Did you know that there is a 90-piece orchestra playing this alongside the cello? I did not. So this is quite interesting because obviously this is the beginning of Joker. Yeah. And it's kind of the beginning of his journey sonically. Um, The orchestra has actually been placed deliberately behind the cello at the beginning. So it's almost inaudible. And then it gradually becomes more prominent during the course of the film up to leading up to the ending. And whereby, you know, right at the end, it swallows up the cello so much that it's um, kind of taking over um, this singular thought in some ways or singular being. And it's very texture based and it's there's a funeral like quality to it as well it's like the death of a city death of existence death of this society you know because as he's walking through this city you see all this garbage piles piled out which obviously is a big epidemic in their end you really get kind of swallowed in into that world and you almost feel like oh god i really don't want to be in this world it's just it just feels really tough and hard hmm you? Yeah, there's a sort of, there's a like a plodding inevitability to it, isn't there? There's a real sort of 
slow march, relentless crushingness to to this track and to frankly quite a lot of the score itself. It this particular track, the way it's executed, it reminds me quite a um, quite a bit, not in a bad way, in, but in a very good way. It reminds me a lot of a um, a piece by Prokofiev, the uh, Montagues and Capulets from Romeo and Juliet, with that bass line, that just constant cycling bass line, which is great. It just because it just has this inevitable continuation to it where it just feels like this is never changing this is never getting better this is just how the world is and you have to live in that structure and it's slowly grinding you down um it yeah it's it's very powerful i think actually comparing it directly to thank god for the rain it also has a similar breathing quality mm-hmm. to it mm. the double stopping of the strings on the cello in particular the, the, again there's a bit of an alternation of sort of harsh and softer strokes and it again gives it a real inhale exhale inhale exhale in contrast uh, i just want people to sort of think about the difference it makes between having the brass in Thank God for the rain and the cello strings in um, Defeated Clown, in that just how much more like a raw nerve the strings sound. It feels very personal and very intimate, whereas the brass manages to make everything sound, even though even though it's breathy, it sounds so much more mechanical. You you start to think of car horns and just the city itself screaming out, whereas the the strings are just so much more internal. Mm. Well, Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Well, just to add there, apparently they built a specific cello for this film called the Halderophone, which it's like uh, you can see that it's it's this really strange cello because it has all these like different uh, systems to kind of, I guess, change the tonalities, like these added features to it that you can kind of move these levers and these little channel like plods and going up it's really quite unusual so i think that is fantastic in itself because then it became it's it adds as a supporting character to the film yeah although you know where i am on having unusual instruments yeah i know i know but <laughs> I, I i think it's i it doesn't even though it sounds very cello like there's something about it that it does it makes it sound a very unique cello it does i don't i don't know i kind of appreciated it i know yeah <laughs> okay well for you who's the winner then i'm going to go with thank god for the rain i just think in terms of the influence of this particular track on that particular score, it just does slightly more. They both do a lot. They both do a huge amount of emotional heavy lifting to set their respective scores up. Okay. Interesting. I'm going to go for Defeated Clown. So now round two, <laughs> relationship with women. So the track we're listening to is They Cannot Touch Her.
This music is obviously played any time he has any association with kind of the two females in his life, mainly starting off with Betsy, who when we first see her, there's a sort of daydream aspect to it. You know, she's presented yeah. as this sort of angelic, in this sort of angelic manner, all in white, and there's like a Barry White seduction style music, with the sax, very old school. I find it's uh, it's very old school in terms of it was less old school then <laughs> well i found it quite old school in that in terms of like what this you like at that time romance you know when people daydream about romantic relationships like this is the sort of music they would play so it feels a little bit dated now it's more of its time but what's interesting is that the jazz music was actually played a lot at, at, at porno films during the uh, in theaters back in 60s and 70s and apparently a lot of like italian composers like Eva morricone provided some soundtracks jazz soundtracks for soft porn films that is a whole other world that in travel in um taxi driver of like the old days where you used to go to a theater to watch porn that is i'm glad i <laughs> <laughs> have never had to live in that like even just the idea that that exists just feels wrong they might bring it back. You never know. <laughs> um, Beyond the days of social isolation. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like, I just find it's, in- it's an interesting um, choice to represent whenever he sees and his internal representation of his view of women, because it showcases that he does have a romantic side, or at least he adheres to the society's rules of courtship up until, you know, the porno date when he takes mm. poor Betsy to watch a porno (laughs) so it's quite sad it's interesting because he's ticking all the boxes and going by the rule book of what a man should do to court a woman even getting a gift and flowers and stuff and he seems to be fitting into the conventional trope but it's 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 but he doesn't get it he doesn't get it yeah and it's just but it's only purely because um, it's what he's been conditioned to you know, because he's kind of probably, you know, like we, we, to cope with his insomnia, as he says, he's been going to these porno films to kind of dry, try and drain himself or try and wear himself out. So psychologically or subconsciously, it's this music is ingrained in him to kind of view women, all women in some way, to have that sort of soundtrack when he sees them, I think. But obviously the reality is completely different because you shouldn't really... You know, I, it's almost like he associates women with porn. Yeah. Sadly. That old chestnut. Yep, absolutely. So, but, you know, that's kind of like the downsides of, you know, if you... It's just, which translates throughout the time. Throughout, it doesn't matter, like, you know, if you, if you watch too much of that or watch a certain type, it's going to get ingrained into your mind to the point where you kind of view it as the norm. Mm-hmm. So... He, don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. Or at least be self-aware that, yeah. you know, everything in moderation. <laughs> and, and then obviously separate yourself from reality and fantasy. Know the difference. Yeah. Know the difference. So I think, if you take nothing away from today, know the difference. <laughs> know the difference, exactly. So I think this music kind of reflects that 
a lot. I think that shows a really interesting side to his character. Yep. For me. You? So it's in, an interesting thing in, in what you're saying there, because I, I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's actually a bit of dispute of, as to what Betsy's theme is. I want. I want to say it's Betsy's theme. I would say it's still it's it's his theme, but his view or his perception of women. Fair enough. It's. Um, I agree, and I, in no way, disagree with what you just said. I'm. That's pretty much down the line of where I'm at with it. But I just want to flag it because it's other people have some slightly different opinions. Um, having read around the sort of the academic stuff of this. So the, the theme that we're describing, that slow jazz theme, which is called the So Close to Me Blues, in many respects, that is the main theme of Taxi Driver. It's what you hear right at the beginning. It's it's here. It's, it's all the way through the film. And a, some people, not a lot of people, some people actually talk about this as actually being the theme of the city. That And I guess that is the, the porno reference you're making there of it. This is the theme of the sleaziness of the city itself that Travis is reacting to. And so, the, so that is that is an opinion. It's an opinion that I don't particularly subscribe to because I, like you, watching the film and just reacting to the music as it comes, very much tie it to his re- his relationship with women and particularly his relationship to, um, to Betsy early on and to um, Iris later on. And in particular, him constructing this sense of himself as like a protector of women. Yeah. Because that, at the end of the day, winds up being his psychosis, right? Is that he's, sorry for the word, that is, that that is what he winds up doing. He kind of feels like he has to eradicate the alpha male or exploitative male figures in these women's lives. He's like like he has to somehow liberate them from something, even though they tell him that they want to be there. He's like he's motivated by this sort of like self sacrifice to try and rescue them out of this oppression. Yep. When all when actually, but then again, in reality, all it's actually he's trying to do is actually showcase or reinstate his own masculinity. 100%. 100%. But for reference of people at home, the, the the little fragment of music that is described as Betsy's theme, which is kind of happy, good to know, is if you listen to this track, there's a little sequence of harp chords before the jazz theme comes in. I can't really sing them because they're chords, but like, just listen. It comes immediately before the theme comes in. And in fact, I'll play it right now. That is what is described as Betsy's theme and the way that it segues so easily into the main theme of the film sort of really ties just how much his attitude towards Betsy just flows into his feelings that the city is a cesspit of depravity, basically. And that's that's just kind of how the whole film comes together. It's The other thing I want to note, because you can't forget it, is that militaristic snare drum is never far away mm-hmm. from that theme of you get this contrast of the wistful floating alto sax and then this incredibly regimented, harsh snare drum just kind of plodding underneath, similar to, in fact, the bass line in Defeated Clown. Moving on to Joker, and this track is called Following Sophie.
See, now for me, when I saw it at the cinema, I, I'm not going to lie, I thought it was very weird. Um, because it has a very sinister stalker style. Yep. Uh, it's interesting how the music... Okay, one thing I have to point out, I don't know if you noticed this, but it's interesting how the music ends as he stops on the road and she goes into the building, into the bank or whatever, and then he turns back before the scene cuts. Okay. Have you? Did you notice that? Not really, no. See, I noticed it because I watched it a few times and I was a bit like, huh. Which made me think that, that probably this whole music was a soundtrack in his mind because as he turned as he stops the music stops and then he turns away and then like the music doesn't carry over or blends into the cut into the next scene right do you see right. what i mean so it made me kind of think like so this is his soundtrack of him following sophie like you know everybody has a soundtrack in their head that you know if they're happy or if they're in you know if they're going on a really fun journey like everybody has they're thinking of a song to kind of carry them that pace i guess so it's a very strange soundtrack of him pursuing Sophie and it's almost as though it showcases his inability to know how to love or link romantically to someone. Wow, that is... You know, that's how I kind of felt. Like, it, this whole score is all from his perspective. It is his soundtrack of his internal mental health. Right. And how at times things can be twisted because depending on, on people's upbringing like for some people they think when they're thinking something happy they'll have a very major type sound like music playing in the background whereas for some if they're slightly unhinged or if just if they're slightly out of place it will be a completely different association different music playing to something that's we as a society have been conditioned to think like this is the music that needs to play at this time does that make sense it makes a lot of sense i this is one really please write in at home a about whether or not you have a soundtrack playing in your head during your daily life because <laughs> i am very intrigued to hear how common an experience this is two please write in about what you think about that interpretation because i like it but it i'll give you an example makes... okay you know how okay <laughs> this will be good okay during this self-isolation one of my um goals is going to be to be able to write happy music okay yep because <laughs> as you know some of the tracks on some of the projects that we've been working on when i've written happy music in quotation marks you obviously were a little bit alarmed and felt like, is that your <laughs> is that your happy music? Are you okay, Ella? Like seriously, yeah. if you need someone to talk to, please talk to it. Because again, that's that's how it's in my head. Like I consider that to sound happy. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, but I know, but I guess it's the same way. How like to lay to another person, it would be like, oh my god, how can you how how can you be? seeing or thinking or listening hearing that sort of music in your head when you're seeing somebody that you like like are you mm -hmm. crazy um but in his mind he might he's just thinking no i'm just really passionate i'm just really like i really like her or something but um but yeah it's uh what's the word it's all subjective okay do you want me to talk about my notes because <laughs> i don't i'm sure they're gonna be completely polar opposite I don't disagree with your interpretation, but 
I disagree with your interpretation. <laughs> yeah, of course. So for me, this is monster music. It's it's straight up. It's you've got aggressive cello notes. You've got like a vicious scraping sound. It's it's jaws in a hooded jacket. Like this is a monster's music. And to me, actually, this is the moment that really contradicts any idea that this film is glorifying Arthur Fleck or the Joker in any way. It's making him out as a predator, right? Like, mm. it's it's a real... Like, you expect that a rape's about to happen, the, the way that he's yeah. pursuing it. But it's just very... But it just comes out of nowhere, though. It does come out of nowhere, and it is... It is very interesting in terms of whose perspective is this because it's clearly not hers because she doesn't know he's there, so she can't be feeling fear, right? It could be his, in which case which I like as, a, as an idea, but that is really interesting if he's seeing himself as that level of monster for mine. I mean, I know that you're interpreting it as potentially being really passionate a, strong a, a feeling subverted version of yeah yeah but... a subverted version of i wouldn't say necessarily passion but just um was it prowl when you're prowling so pursuit so yeah i mean maybe but for me the the cues are all just so monstery that i'm like oh i don't i don't i don't know about that for me it's it sound for me it's confused. I I think that this is scoring the female gaze of that situation. Mm. Right? It is scoring that this is how every woman is looking at this scene right now. Basically of holy crap something's going to go horribly wrong. That to me is what the music is saying at that point and it's part of what again it's what makes me feel like this film is on the right side here because that is its perspective of this scene. Okay. And that's different from what you're saying. So right in at home, which one do you think? So which one would you pick as a winner then? I guess I'm going to go with Taxi Driver because, and it's actually almost partly as a result of this conversation, I'm genuinely confused as to what the perspective of the music in Following Sophie is because the mm. more you analyse it, the less it makes sense. sense. Yep. Yeah. Not that it's wrong, but it's just like, where is that coming from? Yeah. Which one do you think's better? Um, I prefer Taxi Driver. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, just because purely um, all the other music with his relationship to his women is completely different. Yep. It doesn't really kind of, it doesn't carry over. This is in the joke you mean, yeah. In the joke, yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. So that's two votes for Taxi Driver. Shall we move on to round three? Gun and violence. So one thing about Taxi Driver is that the score is all very compressed together into a few tracks. So some of the tracks have rather long names. Uh, and by example, the track that we're listening to for this one, Getting Into Shape slash Listen Screwheads slash Gunplay slash Dear Father and Mother. And here it is.
from this music, you really get a sense that he's reaching his breaking yep. point. Uh, he's like confined himself to his negative thoughts, which is like a virus spreading and Ooh, contaminating topical. him. And <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> and it's all that he sees and hears. And it's, it's, I think the music really does highlight how over being overwhelmed because this music is very abrasive it's very horror like it's very penetrating and it's almost like very hard to get out of to see any holes of light to get through you know oh, like claustrophobic almost claustrophobic that's the word i was looking for. i love that and a bit creepy at times because i think it's during when he says when he's doing gunplay and he's talking about all right, you knuckleheads and stuff. And I think there's screwheads. Yep. Uh, so screwheads. So there's two. It's this is one of the Martin Scorsese's sort of little tricks where he'll sometimes repeat the edit twice. And some people may think that that's an editing error, but it's everything that he does is deliberate. Yeah. Oh yeah. So that alongside the music, where the harp kind of comes in a bit creepy, which it kind of reminded me a little bit of Get Out in some way, which oh, I'm, yeah. I'm sure Get Out was influenced, inspired by. But I think just of that time is that sort of flicks of insanity coming through and just losing your perception of reality, mm-hmm. believing in yourself a bit too much. So yeah, I definitely got that sense and that feeling from the music. And in relation to the gun, his play, which is basically a representation of his masculinity, because there's an element of him where he wants to do the whole, he's like a cowboy trying yeah. to, you know, put. he's like a lone ranger trying to put things right off, you know, what he believes is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what did you think? Well, I mean, just leading right on from there, like the the cowboy thing is a big thing, particularly with Harvey Keitel, his name in the film. Um, Sport, that's it. So uh, somebody pointed out, I was sort of watching some things on it, that uh, Harvey Keitel actually dresses in sort of this sort of like quasi-Native American clothing. He's got like feathers and stuff everywhere, and he calls Travis Cowboy multiple times. Like it really plays off this Western quality to it and that's very much how it plays the gun thing at times yeah. it's this very western thing but also just just the raw um, imagery of it the number of times that travis holds that magnum in his crotch <laughs> like like an appendage like it's yeah there's a lot there in terms of attitudes towards guns which is deeply uncomfortable for me this this track is very is interesting. I agree with everything you've said there. It's um, for me. It's actually there's a lot of similarity between the defeated clown and this actually, and there's that crushing, inevitable, ongoing quality to it. And in this case, this is where it's very different from Thank God for the Rain. You hear in this track a constant descending quality. So you've got the sort of the descending sequence of of semitones going down, which people may or may not be able to hear, but just that that downward sequence which is the it's the code for danger in this film like whenever you hear that it's travis is being weaponized travis is losing the plot travis is about to do something 
pretty crazy. So you've got that little code, then you've got uh, another code, which is sort of a heavy sequence of very dark muted trumpet chords. So a mute is like a little thing you step in, stick into the bell of a trumpet, so the front end of a trumpet, and it strangles the sound and it gives it that really breathy sort of nighttime kind of a sound, for want of a better phrase. It makes it really sort of harsh. And the effect of that in these very dissonant chords is it's like a, it's a even further perversion of that breathing chord sound from the beginning because it's no longer even as bright as a car horn. It's now just this like strangled, muffled cry. And then probably the reason why this track is most appropriate for this is there's this sort of motif, and I'll just play it now. It's sort of played in the cellos and basses. So here it is here. That little motif is played immediately before Travis arrives at the convenience store where he goes on to defend the owner by shooting the the burglar, as it were. And that's used, I think, a couple of times in the film. And that's very much just a code of a very significant things about to happen. It's a big signposting thing. And that little sequence in itself, it's very... That's very standard suspense writing. It's what we call an octatonic scale, which is a very sort of non-tonal sort of a scale. So it's very it's just uneasy and unsettling. And there's even a like a tritone leap in the middle. So it's just it's just dark and nasty. And that little spectrum of things I've just described of crushing, nasty, cry, atonal, dissonant. That's how this score treats guns and violence. Which is notably very different from the outward discussions of Travis where he's using his gun as a de facto penis and being a cowboy, which are all kind of very masculine but essentially positive kind of uh, attitudes there. Like, he, he loves his gun. The score does not love his gun. <laughs> the score says this gun is a very bad idea and is a very bad thing to have. Well, yeah, well, what, what, you're, what, you're, what you're basically saying is that it's not glamorising the use of the gun in oh, any no. way sense. No. And it's not justifying his use of it in any way. It's not triumphant. It's There's no sort of heroic undertones to it whatsoever is you know what at times particularly near the end of the film i feel like sometimes the brass actually you know how we talked about the breath at times i almost felt like mm. it actually represents the sh when you shoot the gun as well when it's like a bang oh like bang. the sort of the, the yeah. exhale of the of the explosion yeah, yeah. sure yeah I it all ties in perfectly with people's sort of internal explosions and the, the last thing I'll say is that just a stylistic feature of this as a movie, it doesn't score action. There is almost no music under things that happen in Taxi mm. Driver. In almost every, the, the music always comes over, well, is most strident over when Travis is thinking about something, when Travis is expressing his thoughts on something. That's when the music goes there. It's very much music of his subconscious. Yeah. The actual scenes, like when he's shooting the guy in the store, when he's shooting the guys at the end, there's no music for any of those. It keeps them cold and you just have the sounds of the scuffle and the gunfire and and all of that stuff. It's, there's a real separation between what happens in reality and what happens in his head. And what happens in his head is scored and what happens in reality is not. Mm. So moving on to Joker, and this is Subway.
sort of headline statement for this one is heavy, raw, and disorienting is, is how I would describe this track. You can, you can just feel the buildup of anger and tension through this track. It's very uneasy. It's very tense. It's very uh, difficult, but it's, it's not quite suspense music. It's more fear and anxiety. I think you can kind of feel the emotions welling up and there's a pain to it. And then when the, because this scene is obviously it's when um, there's the three rich guys on the train and they sort of come over, they sing at him and then they beat him up and then he shoots them and then chaos ensues. When they actually start beating him up, you hear that same theme from the beginning where he's being beaten up. And then, but then when he starts shooting, you hear this sort of almost Hermanesque, frankly, screaming mm-hmm. violins come through. If you're listening to the track at home, it's so it's high about pitched. a minute 40 in. Yeah, it's that high pitched, like painful screeching of the violin. And it's just like those are all very cool effects and then the the other thing the last thing I'll sort of really say is that nothing in the track ever feels stable like every every part of the track is always sliding or shifting somewhere else mm-hmm. like every so you've you've got this very clear build up of emotion but even then everything is just melting into into weird places and i think it's very interesting to compare that to Taxi Driver, because this part of the movie is probably where it starts to get most in common. Because uh, this music, this precise music, is something that Bernard Herrmann pretty much invented as as a film language musically. Um, there's huge amounts of Psycho and those early Bernard Herrmann scores in this as an idea. And it is interesting that Bernard Herrmann didn't really do this for Taxi Driver. He went with a very neo-noir Chinatown jazzy perverted jazz chord approach rather than this not saying there's anything wrong with either approach but just like it's interesting that the guy who invented it didn't go there but but she has and because it works it works so well Mm. you well for me like the beat and the instrumentation is very taunting at the beginning Mm-hmm. I think it like it amplifies their intentions towards Arthur in that scene very well. That sort of taunting, almost passive aggressiveness, and then kind of like leading up to violence. Because I think when they're high pitched, when he shoots, and that high pitch music comes through again, it screams release. It's him screaming through, which in some ways like you know how with taxi driver we were saying that it doesn't glamorize or it doesn't glorify the gun here it kind of does because you as an audience are with him and you are celebrating in some ways or for the fact that he managed to get these guys you know yeah interesting that's how I and that's from that's my interpretation that's the views that I got from a lot of people who saw that scene they felt Ooh. quite they almost were rooting for him would would you say this this is taking your idea and pushing it further just to see if you'll still go there but would you say that where like taxi driver it does the whole phallic thing with that but there's something almost orgasmic about that experience of shooting them oh yeah yeah 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I mean, I said I wanted to push the lights out of them when I was watching it. So for him, for them to get it's the so comeuppance, I was just kind of like, yay. So which is better? For me, I think in terms of how I react as an emotionally, the fact that you empathize with him. Yeah. And you felt that these guys got what they deserve and the music illustrated that and took you on that journey. I think it did very well. Therefore, for me, I would go for Subway. Fair enough. I didn't really feel that connection with the with um, taxi driver gun in any way. That's fair enough. I do agree, and I think largely for similar reasons that, yeah, there is something about Subway, there is that build-up, that tension, that release that is so central to how that character works, and it's, it's, it's powerful, and I felt that, so I'm going to go with the Joker. Alrighty. So that is two votes for Joker. Round four. Transformation. So for Taxi Driver, we're listening to the track, a track called Assassination Attempt slash After Carnage. here are that his theme in this round in this at the end is more and i'm talking more about after carnage and which is this is the music which is basically played over um as the camera pans over the corpses leading to the outside of the killing after travis has killed um, all the pimps (laughs) and rescued um iris um, again, in quotation marks, because, again, in his mind, he probably expected her to be jumping in his arms and saying, thank you, thank you, you saved me. But all throughout that whole scene, you just see him kind of walking or like somehow stumbling over to her. And she's just in the corner, crying her eyes out, just traumatized. And he's just kind of like almost thinking like, I, you can almost kind of feel in his head, he's, he's thinking like, woman. I just saved you. Where's my thank you? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Isn't this what you wanted? Yeah. So that element was so very realistic. Which, with the music, when his theme comes over, you hear the theme. It's very harmonic and it's very triumphant, almost ac- accomplished in some ways, because that's in his mind. He feels he's done the right thing. Therefore, he's he can. Um, 
wipe his hands away or you know just say and like ride off into the sunset with his horse as a cowboy his job here is done (laughs) okay okay um that's how i kind of when the when the theme came through with do you know what i mean it's it's, it sounded much more full-bodied yes this time round than in previous times when the theme was played and during the soundtrack it felt a little bit more thicker a little bit more it's a bit dreamlike i think yeah and you know but it was still jarring all throughout and for me i couldn't connect with it emotionally as it felt a little bit too repetitive i think mm-hmm. so he's, he's basically one last thing is that he's a walking contradiction as is the music yeah i found this ending very weird and difficult in general there's no solution. There's no re- there's no resolution to it. There's simultaneously no resolution and too much resolution. Like it just because mm. it goes to like the letter from the parents about how thankful they are, and then Betsy gets in the cab and everything seems good, and then you realize that he's not in any way okay. Like, uh, it's yeah, it's simultaneously too neat and yet still incredibly messy. The the ending left me cold. I will say. Yeah. And I don't think that's so much the music. I think it's a very complex, weird ending. I agree with most of that. I want to just briefly talk about just two things. There's uh, the drums in this track. They're so harsh and military. It To me, it gives it... it for me, it's less riding off into the sunset and more like walking off to your execution. Like there's a morbidness to it from from mm. those drums it's it's much the scaffold type music which fits travis as well because on one hand like yeah he's being heroic he's saving the girl living the cowboy fantasy but he's but there's also a you know by the time you read this i'll be dead like he, it's a self-sacrifice thing as well so i think you're kind of open to interpret that either way yeah the other thing i, I just want to flag is that just that final version of the the main theme at the end which is just so choked and harsh and just just broken and that's Mm. that's that's quite special actually the that the that the movie gets there i like that about this as a as a piece of music and then moving on to joker yes and the track that everyone's been just waiting for us to talk about call me joker
Right, so if you don't know when this track is played, this is when the clown followers intercept the police car that Arthur has been held captive in, and basically his followers, and again in quotation marks, yep. drag him out and they make him their leader. They put him up on a pedestal. Yeah. yeah. Quite literally, almost. I'm not going to lie. I love this track. <laughs> a lot of people do. <laughs> you really do get a sense that you've been that he's been through this journey, and where you know throughout the beginning of the film, the music and the motif is kind of fragmented, and it's a little bit simple, and it's a little bit one-dimensional. And then it, here, this is like it's realized. It's complete. It's a statement, and just. Uh, it's just so powerful and i'm not gonna lie it did well it brought me to tears right when he when at that moment when he takes the his lips like the bloody lips and then he paints a smile on his face Mm -hmm. and then turns around and just you just see this joy and this triumph in his face and it's you feel it a release from all that built-up tension Mm -hmm. in a very sadistic way so it's they they say that like it's a triumphant music for the Joker, but sad and a terrible realization for humanity that this ultimate villain has come to its own, and you really do feel his sense of transformation. But there's a sadness to it. I really, it's weird. I mean, I what I love about it and how it's in conjunction with with the with the film is how. It internalizes in a turmoil through dance and imagination. He's always wanted to be accepted and appreciated for his craft. So this was almost been like, I see this audience, they're looking up on me, up to me. I'm going to give them a little jig just to kind of like say, here I am and like give you what you've all been waiting for to justify this admiration and ad- Adulation. Yeah, oh my god, what do you think? So, I look, yeah, I agree. Because the music has been quite critical and dark and broody and nasty all the way through this film. But now he's, like, he's broken, right? He's done He's done his worst. He's, like, gone on national TV and shot someone in the head, someone who he really quite appreciated. So as an audience, you're sitting there, you're like, oh, oh, no. <laughs> like, he's, he's really gone now, right? Like, he's... He's totally flipped out. It's 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 over. He's become a villain, and it's at this moment that the music really starts to treat him with sympathy. Like it really gets very sympathetic to him. So like where yeah, you got a bit of an emotional release in Subway. Here it's like there's a warmth suddenly into the music, and then underneath it there's this there is this sort of relentless heartbeat type beat, which kind of really carries you through to the end of the film. And one thing I really like is that it's got this sort of high and low snarling kind of strings in there which are yeah, both they're like these animals coming through yeah I, yeah i agree and they're cool for that reason they're also cool because they're beginning to tie it into the dark night music as well because it's a similar it's beginning to build a similar aesthetic so it's starting to just lean in and i know that's not the job of this score but it's nice that it's starting to build at least some sort of a continuant continuity with the character. Yeah. Because it also just really works with him because re- it starts to become a lot more anarchic and complicated. Do you think that's deliberate or do you think I that do. that's just 
Yeah, okay. I do. I do think there's some deliberateness, like deliberateness to it. I don't think that it's really blatant. I don't think it's really strong, but I think there's definitely a sense of we want to tie it just that little bit. Maybe not because it's it's kind of Hilda's sound anyway, right? Uh, it's definitely Hilda's sound because you do hear it in Sicario, exactly. like the second film that she did. She has a real interesting way of using the strings, particularly cello, and getting these strange animalistic tones and textures from them that I really like because when you hear them you fear it gives it gives them life yeah that's why I loved about this whole soundtrack that it gives it gave life to these negative thoughts of the mind yeah for sure and some of it is very ugly it's not pretty music it's not pretty sounds but it highlights them it, because we all have it in us that we have these like demons in us it gives voice to the demons yeah basically absolutely um and i love the fact that she's not she's not frightened to go there so like i basically felt more emotionally connected to that scene so for me that's just why i would go i would pick call me joker as my winner yeah me too i, I do think it's a better ending uh, i find the ending to taxi driver and apologies to Many people out there who genuinely love Taxi Driver and love the ending of Taxi Driver. It's one of the more iconic film endings in history. It just, it doesn't click for me. It just feels a bit weird. Disconnected. And I I can't get beyond that. Alrighty then. Let's move on to round five. Legacy. So something we haven't really mentioned properly yet, but we should prob- we should definitely say is this is Bernard Herrmann's last film. It's the last score he ever wrote. He died literally only hours after conducting the final recording yeah. sessions. Which, I mean, may or may not have been the intended final recording sessions. But yeah, basically he delivered the score and then promptly died, which is tragic and horrible. But also, oh my God, a career that starts with Citizen Kane and ends with Taxi Driver. Like what? 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 What a composer! You you don't get much better than that. I mean, the legacy of this score is huge just for that fact alone. Of it is the pinnacle of one of the true great voices of film music's career, and you can't really, you know, go beyond that. It's you can hear so much of so many of the scores in here, particularly his Hitchcock scores, and particularly North by Northwest. There's a lot of similarities in the way that it uses just a very small number of themes and intersperses them through. You've got the use of the dominant seventh chords, which I know to non-musicians won't mean a whole lot, not a whole lot, but it's those really tense chords that we talked about ad nauseum in Psycho and we'll talk about here. And when we eventually do another Bernard Herrmann score in a few years' time, we'll talk about it again because he uses them all the time and they're amazing and tense and that he just he's always able to make a moment with just a chord and the understanding he has of orchestration things like how he creates that breathing sensation from just the differences in attack of instruments like understanding that this instrument can be used in these multiple ways and by using those multiple ways you can create all like this like thousands upon thousands of millions of tones and colors and sounds this is the sort of stuff that I'm talking about when I say I don't like people coming up with new instruments just to, in order to be able to sound original because, as Bernard Herrmann shows time and time again, he can use the most boring collection of instruments and create the most insane sounds 
just by knowing what he's doing with them. He, he, like that's that's orchestration skill. Psycho is terrifying, and it's just a string orchestra. Most people, you give them a string orchestra, and they'd be like, "Well, I can't write anything except boring music with this." Bernard Herrmann's like, "Watch this," and it's it's here too. Like he's using basically a jazz ensemble. Are you trying to put some people out of business here, Tristan? Yes. <laughs> Use a bloody orchestra. <laughs> <laughs> well, I kind of disagree with I that. Know. I think I, I th- only because instruments have to evolve, and I think this is a way of instruments evolving to be being given different colors. And why not? Do they have to evolve though? Why shouldn't they? It's almost like saying, "Do we have? Do human beings need to evolve?" <laughs> if the opportunity is there, and the craftsmanship is there, and there's a vision, why not? But it's not evolution to create a new instrument and then use it in one score and it's never, ever used again. That's not an evolution. How do you know? That's just... How do you know? Well, because it's not. It's like it's just a it's a one-off and that's... No, but she might be using it for a different film, for another film. Once it's been... Yeah. I have, I have to be honest, less of a problem with Hilda. I think she actually already has used that instrument in multiple scores. I, I have less of an issue with that than with some other just really wacky things that people use in in scores that just make them impossible to perform. Uh, Did you have anything else to say about Taxi Drivers and Legacy? You can't deny their legacy. However, with Joker, it won an Oscar. Now, the last female Oscar winner was in 1997. Yep. Anne Dudley for Full Monty. That's 23 years later. Yeah, no, absolutely. And there's been countless of composed, female composers who did an amazing job for various films that did not get to be picked at the Oscars or to be recognised for awards. So I'm very... It's a pivotal point, I think, for the fact that she has been given that award this year and oh, yeah, you has been recognised for, sure. for it. Yeah. In terms of influence, I think in, because... This is just, again, my opinion, but as someone who composes music visualizing dance or some form of movement through a human body, (laughs) this score is going to influence a variety of contemporary dance projects because it has that contemporary avant-garde quality to it. It's very lyrical as well, which I know musically it's not as very it's very sparse and it's very subtle lyrically but in terms of movement and expression through movement it's there there's so much to work with i like that that's a good angle yeah and so yeah that's where my angle is and i like how (laughs) i mean her cello playing is really interesting and in some ways quite unique because i listened to another album that she did with johan johansson which is mary magdalene it's beautiful score very haunting that was a great score yeah absolutely i know yeah and i love how she was once asked if she would move to la to you know to you know as as most film composers end up doing um she said no the climate it won't suit me Mm -hmm. which i like because it means that the environment that she, where she lives in Iceland, that Icelandic climate really influences her solemn tone. That is just, that is her sound. And if you try and take her away, it just, um, it really drives her. Yep. Because all her music, like I listen to her other 
albums that are not film scores there is there's a darkness to it there is a coldness to it that is just i really resonate with Mm -hmm. her legacy and i guess her input is that she really did shape the film because there's been countless remarks and confirmations that she read the script she composed the music like a few fragments she sent it to the director the director played it around the set and to Joaquin Phoenix and that shaped his performance that kind of influenced him that got him into the mind of the character Mm -hmm. which is very rare you don't normally hear that the music comes first that then Mm. kind of drives and shapes the rest of the film it's more common now but yeah it's still unusual but I don't think any other composer would have had had that type of effect and dominance in the creation of the film from cinematography through from to the pacing of the edits the same way that she has and her that particular score has had. Yeah, I mean that is the that is the Zimmer Nolan effect as well. But yeah, it's it's rare. It's rare for sure. No, I so I know you say like Zimmer Nolan thing. Mm, I don't know. I'm a little bit. No, I think there's something different that's separate to them. Yeah, I mean, he writes his scores first. He writes the scores often before the script is barely written and it influences the whole whole, the whole thing through. I, I, I think it's a similar process. I'm not saying that they come from the same place. Oh, the... right. I thought I thought you were talking about the, the sound was being very similar. Oh, hell similar. no. No, not the sound. I'm just saying that process of the score coming first before the film is shot that influences the script revisions that's given to the actors beforehand. But that's beforehand. because of the director and composer relationship yep. because Nolan kind of trusts Zimmer much more. And when you bring Zimmer on, he's practically an executive producer on your film rather than just a composer. Yeah. Which is remarkable to say, and I think that's kind of where you're going next, that Hilda yeah. is already having that influence on people despite not having 40 years of career behind her. Yeah. Well, exactly. And she hasn't had, she hasn't created those relationships. She hasn't necessarily has a director with whom she works with countless times, you know, but she's mass- she's managed to kind of make an input that's very dramatic and very like memorable that me- that showcases that she can do her job well yeah absolutely in terms of picking the winner i don't know if do you, do you want to add anything to not a lot i mean i think you've covered most of it there obviously yeah the her as the first sort of yeah woman to win like the sort of the solo com- composer award since they combined them and the first one in 23 years as you said is is a huge deal and you can't ignore that and it almost frustrates me a little bit in that it uh, takes, it distracts a little bit from the fact that it's also like the first huge acknowledgement of the arrival of that Icelandic sound in in Hollywood as well, in that it feels almost uh, wrong to point out that it's also the arrival of this sound because the other thing is so much more so much more significant. And I don't want to belittle that in any way. But like after years of us sort of talking about how Johan Johansson had missed out on this nomination and that nomination, uh, for you know his various phenomenal scores, finally it, it's there and this sound that has been such a big influence in both film and TV for a good five or six years now has now sort of had its big breakthrough moment. It's won its Oscar. It's now acknowledged of, okay, it is now part of film history <laughs> to, to an extent. And I think that, that the big legacy of Hilda is going to be sort of twofold. One on hopefully seeing a lot more women win that award both from women being inspired to write more music and probably more significantly people respecting the music that women write. Uh, 
very important thing. But also, and also the sort of the legitimization of that Icelandic sound, as you say, that she chose to stay in Iceland, and just really announcing that that is that is now part of high end film and will be there for some for some time. And I think that is a huge legacy moment. So who are you going to pick? Can you go first? I really don't want to choose. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because I'm choosing between two composers <laughs> that I really, really very greatly respect, but one of whom, you know, I've, I've heard two amazing works from in the last year, Chernobyl and this, uh, ridiculous. Okay. All righty. I'll go first. Okay. Be- okay. If we're only voting the legacy based on the film, I would go for Joker. Right. Because I felt much more emotionally connected to it because I felt that the music, as I said earlier, made the film. Yeah. It was a, a main character in its own right. Yeah. And I didn't get the same impact from Taxi Driver score. I felt like it was unique in its own right. But at times I felt it was a little bit too repetitive. Right. Sure. <laughs> uh, controversial there no it is repetitive i mean partly because all of the edits had to be made by the editor because the composer died yeah and it was fine fine yeah so i i don't I, I think what it is i don't necessarily felt like i went i went on a journey in taxi driver it's too fragmented for me i i would have liked to have seen the descent more because when we introduce to him, we, he's already kind of like in a negative space, yep. in a negative mind space, you know? Sure. So it's almost just kind of like, and that's where I felt like it was quite repetitive. Like, is it, how is it going to get any more intense? Whereas, whereas with the Joker, you do kind of get a sense of like, he, it starts with being despair mm. and then it goes to tor- turmoil and then it goes to insanity and just breaking point and then to just chaos and purely because as i said it like whenever you know i'm not gonna lie whenever i do feel down and i have my own demons that come into my head that's the score that i listen to to help me kind of process it to kind of get it out in some ways because it really illustrated the (sighs) the raw sort of Dirty. I don't want to say dirty. What I just did, but <laughs> it's all. <laughs> Sorry. But I, I mean, the filth. No, but the music is very filth. Yeah, there's a. There's a sort of dirtiness to griminess. it. Griminess. Yeah. 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 Do you know what uh-huh. I mean? And it that is if, to be able to capture that the mind of somebody that we all have moments of. I think, well, for me, like I said, it's just, it's it's the score that I will listen to over and over again whenever I need that sol- that solace to kind of get that out yeah, of me. Yeah, that's a very modern thing, actually. I think that is actually a real change that we've had in the last decade or so with, with film music. Of It's become far less symbolic lately. Like, music used to be very, and Taxi Driver kind of has it, of, like, you use these techniques and you kind of you hark back to older music sounds or whatever and it's all so it's very symbolic it's very like oh this is romantic and so you know you play a lovely mm. romantic theme whereas music particularly in the last 
five, ten years, and Johan and Hilda and people like that have been very, and even Hans, to a certain extent, have been very much at the forefront of this, of music that doesn't uh, symbolise what the emotion is, but music that tries to actually sound like the emotion is. Like, music that, like, if it's tense, it just makes you, it makes you tense. The music makes you feel yeah. tense. It grabs you and it grates and it skips and it, Grinds. It brings it to life. Yeah, it, it's it's about capturing the sound of what the emotion feels like coming through your body rather than trying yeah. to tie back to some older illusion of of or reference to how this has been portrayed in music and literature before. And I, that, that is yeah. an interesting change. And, yeah, so I, I think that is, yeah, that is definitely a, a reaction to have had. So who's your winner? So here's the thing, right? Like... You know what? You don't need to justify. Just say. No, Who is no, it? No. I'm not justifying my answer. I'm justifying why it's hard. It's that I there's so much about the Joker score that I want to be influential. You know, I want Hilda as female composer to be a big deal. I want the Icelandic sound to come through. But I also, I like the old aspects of Bernard Herrmann. I like the fact that he used these orchestras in really edgy, complicated ways and the the use of just the intelligent use of orchestration and stuff, which is like he's the best who ever did it. I'm going to go with Hilda, but I don't like it. <laughs> you can't say that. You can't. No. Imagine if she's listening. I'm so sorry, Hilda. <laughs> Can you imagine? If she listens to it, she'll be like, oh, well, don't I, vote I, for I me I don't then. like having to make that call. I just don't like having to make that call because they're both so good. They're both so Then phenomenal. don't make that call. I wouldn't feel any happier going the other way. That's the thing. Because a vote for Bernard Herrmann is like discrediting the immense legacy that I desperately hope that the Joker has and mm -hmm. that I f fully expect it to have. And I don't want to disrespect either. I would not like either answer. Okay. So I'm guessing the overall winner is our King of Chaos, the Joker. Yeah. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was going to go that way. I know. But I think it was a very fair cross-referencing and kind of like to vote again because one influenced the other and interesting how the uh, the one that's been do you think the music influenced each other the films did no yeah, sorry the, the film i mean yeah that's why i meant the film influenced each other not the music yeah. um but it's just interesting how i think if we were just t if we were purely talking about the film and how and al analyzing the film without the music mm. then i think taxi driver would have won because there are some holes and issues with this reimagination of the joker yeah i probably actually wouldn't want to go too deeply into analyzing the joker that way i enjoy it as a watch but i don't think i'd enjoy it as an analyze yeah yeah whereas because we're discussing more on the film soundtracks musically wise then i feel it justifies it more it's close <laughs> i feel I, I i feel very happy i know you do but, but anyway let's talk about what we're going to be discussing next month then all right so ella next month we're going to be going back to the world of tv and you remember a couple of years ago when you basically required me to watch all of breaking bad in about three weeks didn't you have a good time i did 
But I never finished that series, believe it or not. Controversial. Shock. No, uh, mm. I am going to inflict on you, in the era of social isolation, where I think the binge watch is the new life, uh-huh. <laughs> two, of, two of my favourite series of the last sort of decade, at least as far as music is concerned, and they are The Leftovers with music by the amazing, phenomenal Max Richter. And Wayward Pines with music by Charlie Clouser. These are two phen- phenomenal series, particularly for season one, which is all we're talking about. So you're off the hook. There is no watching 110 episodes for you because <laughs> I'm a nice person. I would invite everybody at home who suddenly has a whole lot of time on their hands now that their respective dance cards have been cleared out by social isolation to um, see if you can get a hold of, of these two series. I... We'll put it out there. I don't necessarily approve of where the leftovers went beyond season one, but for season one of both of these two series, they are a great watch. Until then. Bye. Goodbye. And always remember, that's life. That's life. That's what all the people say You're riding high in April Shot down in May But I know I'm gonna change that tune When I'm back on top Back on top in June I said that's life That's life And as funny as it may seem Some people get their kicks Stomping on a dream But I don't let it Let it get me down Cause this fine old world It keeps spinning around I've been a puppet A pauper A pirate A poet A pawn and a king I've been up and down And over and out And I know one thing Each time I find myself Flat on my face I pick myself up And get back in the race That's life That's life I tell you, I can't deny it I thought of quitting, baby But my heart just ain't gonna buy it And if I didn't think it was worth one single try I'd jump right on a big bird And then I'd fly I've been a puppet, a pauper, a pirate, a poet A pawn and a king I've been up and down and over and out And I know one thing Each time I find myself laying Flat on my face I just pick myself up And get back in the race That's life That's life And I can't deny it Many times I thought of cutting out But my heart won't buy it But if there's nothing shaking Come this here July I'm gonna roll myself up 
in a big ball. Hey.